Welcome again to our Wednesday Bible study. Today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. Now, remember last chapter in Exodus 2, we found out a little bit about Moses himself. And really, that's the chapter we were introduced to Moses, who's going to be a key figure uh, throughout this book and the, the next few books of the Bible as well. And here in chapter 2 of Exodus, we find out that he's born in that chapter, and then whenever he gets around the age of 40, he sees an Egyptian mistreating his own people, the Israelites. And he rises up and he kills that Egyptian, if you remember. Because of that, the Pharaoh gets upset with him, and he has to flee for his life into the land of Midian, into a foreign country. And in that land, he gets married, and he starts a family. And whenever he's in that land for about 40 years, we see that the story kind of continues on in the last few verses of Exodus 2. I'm going to read those just to kind of get us up to speed on Exodus 3. So Exodus 2, verses 23 through 25. During that long period of time, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned because of the slave labor. They cried out, and their, and their desperate cry because of their slave labor went up to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and God understood. Now we're going to see God's plan of how he's going to... Uh, really how he's going to bring out Israel from the land of Egypt. But Moses doesn't know how this is going to happen yet. God knows. But let's start to see how God reveals it to Moses. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire, from within a bush. He looked, and the bush was ablaze with fire, but it was not being consumed. So Moses thought, I will turn aside to see this amazing sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. God said, Do not approach any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He added, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So in these verses of, of Exodus 3, we find out a few things uh, about Moses, and this is really his calling, okay? This is the, the, the very famous burning bush incident. You know, I mean, how would you respond if you saw this bush that was burning up? You know, at first, uh, we, from at least Moses' perspective, he just sees this bush burning, but it's not burning up. Why isn't it burning up? So he just kind of goes closer to take a closer look at it. He doesn't really understand that, well, he's going to have a conversation with God, which, by the way, let me ask this before we kind of keep moving, because it's it's going to be an important thing in this chapter. So I want us to, to deal with this and, and kind of take a look at it. And I want you to notice some things that we can easily overlook and sometimes get a little lost in our translations anyways. And that is this. Who appeared to Moses in the bush? You know, who, who was it who appeared to Moses in the bush? I want you to think about that. Because some of you probably thought, oh, well, you know, it's, it's of course, God himself. And I would say you're right. But the son of, some of you might have also thought, uh, well, if you look at verse 2, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire with, from within the bush. Okay, so it's the angel of the Lord. And to that, I would say you're right. 
see, we see an interesting thing happening right here, because if you look, I believe that, that what we see going on in this chapter is how many different ways we can talk about God. Because up to this point in the story, there's been a few different names of God, so to speak, or at least words that are associated with God. For instance, when we refer to God as God, we're actually not really even using his name because God's name is not God. God is what he is. Maybe that's not the best way of putting it, but I, I hope that you'll understand that at least in connection with these other things. Uh, we find from verse four, if you look at verse four, we see that uh, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush. Okay, so now we see that it's God who called to him from within the bush. But then in verse four, we also see that the Lord saw. So we have this being that talks to Moses being referred to here in verse two. And then verse four, we see that this being is referred to as the angel of the Lord, the Lord in verse four, and then also God. We see three different terms being referred to with God. Now, you know, um, with that, I don't think that we can, you know, take it as it's like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't think that, you know, that's really what we need to take from it. What we need to take from it is to, to recognize that God can be referred to by several different names. Uh, in fact, I actually just looked at the PowerPoint and recognized that it doesn't do what I'm going to mention, but I'm going to go ahead and mention this. In verse four, you see this word, it says, when the Lord saw. Okay, apparently whenever I put this text over into uh, to this uh, PowerPoint presentation, it didn't keep the capitalization. If you look in your Bibles, if you open those up, you'll see there in verse four that those are all uppercase letters. It's a capital L, a capital O, a capital R, and a capital D. This has to do with the actual name of God, what we're going to come uh, into a little bit later in this chapter. That's why I'm going into so much detail right now, because it's important to identify who this God is and to recognize the importance of his name as well, because the name of God is going to be important um, in in the book of Exodus, and Moses also wants to know, well, you know, what is your name? So he he's going to uh, talk about that, and, and they're going to get into details. But he already knows who it is. You know, it's the God of of the father of Moses in verse six, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God of the Bible, the one true and living God, creator and sustainer of everything. And we can talk about him in terms like he's the Lord. We can talk about him in terms that his name, you know, that that he is God. It, while that's not exactly his name, it's what he is. And then we find this one character that I haven't made too much mention of just yet in verse two, the angel of the Lord. See, sometimes whenever we come across the angel of the Lord, it appears like the like it's an angel who is different from the Lord himself. But then sometimes the way the angel of the Lord speaks, he speaks as if he is God. Well, whatever the case, we recognize that the angel is coming from the Lord. So the message of the angel is going to be the message of God. Now, this might not seem too, too important to you, but I just want you to see that there are these different terms that we can refer to God, that even the Bible refers to God. So sometimes we might argue about, uh, you know, the, the name of God or how we view God and stuff like that. And, and as long as it's the way that God has revealed himself, then there's nothing wrong with talking about him in different ways. After all, perhaps some of the names of God might mean more to me than what they do to you, or they might mean something special to you that I don't have the same meaning, um, to, to me at least. 
So that's just something about the name of God. We'll keep looking at the name as we keep going. But I also want to draw your attention to something that we see in verse 5. This is kind of just really well-known fact about this encounter at the burning bush. Whenever he starts to approach the burning bush, then uh, God told him to take his sandals off. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. That's what verse 5 says. So the place that you are standing is holy ground. What's so special about that ground? You know, why is it holy? It's only holy because God's presence is there. And this probably makes perfect sense to you, and, and that's fine. But I'll tell you what, you know, I've, I've got little kids, and one of them, apparently, you know, he's, he's starting to ask these questions uh, about where God is and stuff like that. And it, it's kind of difficult to answer that question because, you know, you and I, we might say that, that God is in heaven. And that works. And, you know, that is true. But then we might also say, well, you know, God is actually, he's everywhere all at the same time. And and that's true too. But, you know, some of these things can be really difficult for kids to grasp. And then uh, another thing that is so important is that, you know, God is within our hearts. And, you know, especially when we get into Jesus, uh, we, we talk about that language that Jesus is in our hearts. But yet, you know, all of those three things, they kind of sound like they're saying different things, but yet they're really not. And this has to do with where God's presence is. So why is this ground holy? Well, it's holy because this is where God is revealing himself. Yeah, it's true that God is here, just like God is everywhere else in, in some way. But he is at this location revealing himself in a special way. That's why this ground is special. And that's why he wants to he wants Moses to have this respect for the ground uh, because this is where God himself is revealing himself. And obviously, we see that Moses's reaction in verse six is, you know, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I just kind of bring these things up because I think they're important for, for us to, to recognize. And, and these can be difficult concepts for us to even um, grasp a hold of, much less when we try to teach kids. You know, if you try to teach younger kids, some of these things, you start to realize, you know, it's it's kind of hard to to tell, okay, so God's in heaven, but he's in my heart, but then he's also, uh, you know, here in this case, he's at the burning bush. So, you know, what what is all this? Some of this just deals with what it means to be holy, and that means that it's, it's set apart. And here in this case, this ground was set apart, and this is going to be where God reveals himself. Now, specifically, that ground is going to serve uh, even more of like a little bit of a sign, and we're going to see that in the next few verses. Uh, so, so God is kind of sort of laying the foundation for some of those things that he's going to, to tell him. So let's keep looking at this conversation here that, that uh, Moses has with the Lord. Verses 7 through 10 now. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land, uh, from that land to a land that is both good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the region of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now indeed the cry of the Israelites has come to me, and I have also seen how severely the Egyptians oppressed them. So now go. And I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So Moses gets his call right here. He now knows he is standing before the presence of our holy God. 
And this holy God that we serve has a special task for Moses. This is where it's, it's going to start. You know, God is paying attention to what's happening to his people. Verse 7 makes that clear. We saw that in the last chapter. You know, actually, I think there's been mentioned up, up to this point in every single chapter that God is aware. Uh, God is listening. God is paying attention. Uh, also, another interesting thing about verse 9 is uh, this word about, and now indeed, the cry of the Israelites. Uh, I have a footnote here in the Net Bible, and and by the way, you can kind of look up some information about the Net Bible uh, in the the description of this video down below. If you want to go to that website, you can uh, you can look up these study notes. They have a whole lot of of different study notes that tell you things about uh, the words that are being used. It's w without actually knowing Hebrew and Greek, you can sure do a lot of of research into what these words are just by looking at those study notes because. Um, this translation especially was very open about what the Hebrew says and kind of what it means and all. But here in verse 9, this word about the cry of the Israelites has come to me. Um, it, it actually, within the footnotes of the, the Net Bible, it says, The word is a technical term for the outcry one might make to a judge. I just kind of found that interesting because, you know, we see how God is, he is going to pronounce uh, judgment upon is uh, upon, not Israel. He's going to pronounce judgment upon Egypt. Uh, and then years later, of course, he, he does act as judge for, for Israel, you know, the nation of Israel, and all other different nations as well. So we see that, that God does that, but God is listening to their cry. He understands what's happening. He is seeing what's happening, and he has a plan. Now, see, that's so important because this plan, Moses doesn't know what it is. Okay, no human at this point knows what the plan of God really is. But God knows. And the humans are asked to trust God. And here they're told a little bit about what's going to happen. Verse 10, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, how's that going to go? What's that going to look like? Moses has his own questions. So let's look at those questions. Verses 11 through 15 now. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He replied, Surely I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you and they will serve God at this mountain. Moses said to God, If I go to the Israelites and tell them the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I say to them? God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, You must say this to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, you must say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial from generation to generation. So as I said earlier, the name of God is going to be important in this chapter, and it is. Moses starts off by asking the question, who am I? But then what he really gets is not so much about who he is, but who God is. And sometimes we ourselves, we can hinder us in what we're doing because we might be focused on, on us and think, well, you know, who am I? I'm nothing great. I'm nothing special. But really, what you do in this life and what you do for God has less to do with who you are and much more to do with who God is and God's plan. 
God's plan has always been to be able to use humans in such a way that we ourselves are incapable of being used for, and we're incapable of doing these things, just like Moses himself. He was incapable of being able to do what God was asking him to do. But God was the one that was giving him strength. So Moses asked, who am I? But really he finds out who God is. And that change of focus for Moses was important. But that change of focus also needs to happen uh, with us as well. So how do we know the importance of God? And the importance of God being with him and all. Um, and the fact that God is with him. Well, in verse 12, we find out that God says that this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. Okay, so at this point, you know, if you're just reading this, you might be thinking, okay, so what's going to be this sign? You know, if you're familiar with the story, you know that the 10 plagues are going to come up. You know that the crossing of the Red Sea is going to happen. So you're thinking, okay, surely God is going to, going to say one of those signs. But actually what he says as a sign is when you bring the people out of Egypt, you and they will serve God at this mountain. That's an interesting sign. It's kind of, if I can use the term, it's a little bit less miraculous than what we might expect to be, you know, for a sign. Signs, we might think of something, oh, well, you know, this is huge. This is going to be something absolutely amazing that is beyond human abilities. But what we see here is something fairly simple in the sense of that the people of Israel are just going to come to this mountain and they're going to serve God. They're going to worship God at that mountain. What's so special about that? Recognize what has to happen in order for them to be brought out of Egypt into this, this freedom and this ability to be able to, to serve God. But God tells them that's what this sign is going to be. Also, when you notice before that, uh, uh, that Moses had to take off his sandals because it was holy ground. Well, right here we see they're going to come back to this mountain. It is holy and they're going to all worship God at this mountain. So the mountain itself it plays an important part. What's so special about the mountain? Probably nothing particularly, except for the fact that that's the mountain that God chose to reveal himself. He could have easily chose a different place, but he picked this mountain, he picked this location to reveal himself to the people of Israel. Okay, so now let's keep looking because about this name of God. Moses is asking this question, you know, well, what if I go to the Israelites and they start asking me, okay, well, who is this God? You know, What is his name? What should I say to them? Now, you know, you might kind of look at this and, and you might think that, has Moses really come so far that he has forgotten the name of God? Perhaps so. I mean, maybe the Israelites have really, have gotten so far away from God that they don't even know his name anymore. Or perhaps what, what he's getting at is, look, how are they going to believe? Me? You know, what, what's, what's going to happen? You know, if I go to them and then they just start asking me these questions. And what God tells him is, I am that I am. And that becomes a name for God. Uh, we kind of translate it over into Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, and that's that's also carried over into that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is, as oftentimes is, is included in our in our translations of the Bible. Uh, we, we see that, that that is another way of saying Yahweh or uh, Jehovah. And we find out that God is he is pretty particular about his name. You know, the last phrase here at, at this last verse in verse uh, 15 is that this is my name forever. This is my memorial from generation to generation. You know, how important is the name of the Lord? When you start looking through the Bible, you actually find 
you know, dozens, uh, perhaps even hundreds of references about, you know, the name of God and the importance of the name of God. And whenever we get into the New Testament, if you allow me to kind of uh, fast forward just a little bit and, and borrow something that we see from Acts chapter four, whenever the apostles are brought in for questioning because they healed a man and they healed a man in the name of Jesus. So the Jewish religious leaders, they want to know, okay, well, what authority do you have to be healing in this name of Jesus? And one of the things the disciples say about him is found in Acts chapter four, verses 11 and 12. They say, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, that has become the cornerstone. But especially in verse 12, notice this about the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. See, we are saved by the name of Jesus. We are saved by the name of God, the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is so powerful. It's so wonderful. We need to remember the importance of this name of God. There's more to this conversation, so let's keep reading. Verses 16 and 17. Go and bring together the elders of Israel and tell them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, appeared to me, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I have attended carefully to you uh, and to what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So we see once again that God is paying attention. In fact, what's stated in 3.16 is, I have attended carefully to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. God is paying attention. You know, there's, there's probably half a dozen or more uh, just in these first few chapters of Exodus, uh, statements about how God is paying attention, he sees what's going on, and he's got this plan. He, he's going to bring them into this land that's flowing with milk and honey. That doesn't literally mean that there's going to be milk flowing, you know, like some, some waterfall with, with milk and, you know, over honeycombs or something like that. Although that's kind of, you know, maybe a kind of a cool image to think about. But what it means is there's just going to be abundance of this. There's going to be plenty of milk. There's going to be plenty of honey. There's going to be plenty of, of good things in this land. And there most certainly was. And there, there is. Let's keep reading, though. Verses 18 through 22. And, and with this, we will uh, end out this chapter. Uh, but yet the story continues even after this. Verses 18 through 22. The elders will listen to you. And then you and the elders of Israel must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now let us go three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even under force. So I will extend my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will do among them. And after that, he will release you. I will grant this people favor with the Egyptians so that when you depart, you will not leave empty handed. Every woman will ask her neighbor, and the one who happens to be staying with her house in her house for items of silver and gold and for clothing you will put these articles on your sons and daughters thus you will plunder egypt okay so here in these last few verses of this chapter we find out that 
that Moses is supposed to go to the elders. The elders are going to listen. What's going to happen right there? The elders with Moses are all supposed to go to the king of Egypt and make a request. The request is go out three days journey into the wilderness. It seems like a very, you know, reasonable thing so that they can sacrifice to the Lord their God. It seems like a very reasonable request, but God knows they're not going to get that request. They're not going to get any request, but this is kind of to show that the Israelites do not have any sense of freedom whatsoever in their land. And what God is going to do is he's going to give them this freedom uh, that, uh, that he wants his people to have. And we see that how he's going to do that. Uh, he, he says in verse 19 that, that he knows that the king of Egypt, he's not going to let him go. He's not going to let him go for three days. He's much less not going to let them go completely free. He's not even going to do it, even if there's force involved. But what God is going to do is more than just human force, more than just earthly force. In 320, the Lord says that he's going to extend his hand and he's going to strike Egypt. What's that going to look like? That's what we know as the 10 plagues. And we see that, that God does strike Egypt and he does perform all types of miracles in order to provide freedom for the Israelites so that they can, they can leave. Another interesting thing that happens that verse 21 talks about is that uh, apparently the Israelites are going to have favor with the Egyptians, at least to the extent that the Egyptians are going to give them stuff. They're going to give them silver. They're going to give them gold. They're going to give them, you know, all of these other things, and they're going to plunder Egypt. All this has to do with the, the judgment that God is bringing about for the land of Egypt, because Egypt has failed miserably. They are mistreating these other people. You know, we always have to pay attention to how we as individuals treat other individuals, but we also have to pay attention to we as a nation, how we treat other nations or other people groups and, and things like that. Because here we see that, that Egypt is going to be brought under judgment because they're not acting in accordance with what God has already revealed to them. And you might say, well, well what has God revealed to the land of Egypt? Okay, if you go back far enough, you recognize that God revealed himself to all of the nation and he told them all what he desired. Now, it's kind of their fault that up to this point, the Egyptians went after other gods and they've forgotten who the one true and living God is. God is going to remind them and he's going to, to show the, the might of his hand in the upcoming chapters. And I hope that you'll continue to, to join us in this study of the book of Exodus. And even in the next chapter, we're going to see that this conversation about the burning bush is still continuing. And Moses has some other questions and those questions that he's going to ask, they probably speak quite a bit to many of us, all these kind of excuses as to why he's saying that he's not something special. Remember, he asked the question, you know, who am I? But the focus that God puts is not on Moses, but is on God and the power and the might of God and the power and might of the Lord's mighty outstretched arm. We're going to see that.